everyone it's me db this is people's guide to the cthulhu mythos it's me db spitzer and to my virtual right as always farmer dave farmer dave how are you doing this week i am virtually well all right that's good to hear that's good to hear how has everything been at the farm this week it has been cold it has been cold out at the cemetery as well um no, no, no! Kids have gotten their tongues frozen to uh, tombstones yet this year, thankfully. But hey, it's early. It's 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 very early in the season. It's 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 our first bit of real cold. I want to say, uh, last week was cold and there was flurries of snow, if you remember. But this this week, it's it's just cold. It's cold and it's snowing. And uh, how much snow do you have out there? About a about a half an inch. Yeah, yeah. It's it's down here. It's it's just started to stick. I think we have like maybe a good eighth inch at most, but uh, I don't know if we should be uh, even recording it at this point. But yeah, 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 yeah. This isn't what people came here for. They didn't came here, uh, come here to hear about the weather. They came here to hear about uh, spooky space monsters and uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, and to hear from uh, someone within the Pacific Northwest or uh, West Coast. I don't know, someone within... Either the fandom or or, or writing or something, uh, uh, an interview. So are you that. talking about our interview? Yeah, 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 yeah. We generally yes. have someone. Yes, that we you do. Talk to. We yeah. have actually something, somebody who covers quite a few things, oh, and cool. that is Frances Paya. Oh, cool. And oh, cool. she is a well as a writer. She is a patent judge. But she also is in charge of a uh, youth writing program in the Pacific Northwest, as well as quite a few other writing projects. And so we're going to talk a little bit about such mundane things as water and traditions and inspiring kids to read and write. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. Um, And yeah, we'll have that going on in the middle part of the show, as always. And uh, today we'll be talking about the, I don't know, I guess I want to call them the middle planes, uh, the the neutral planes, but not the... The flyover planes. Yeah, yeah, the flyover planes. This is like your North Dakota, South Dakota. I, I, I really don't know what the flyover states are in general. I just assume Wyoming's one of them, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. So uh, cue that, that theme music. You're listening to KZOM, only on public radio. Greetings, listeners. 
XI TV Spitzer Informative. Here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits. Like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head to those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey, we are back from the theme music. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about some spooky stuff regarding Narlethotep. And uh, we've got the Queen in Red and Set, but only kinda. <laughs> so, so, I, so actually, yeah. So I got a question for you. Sure. Where does the Queen in Red first appear? As far as I can see, it's the uh, Malice Monstrum of... Uh, no, but so where did they get the name? Oh. It's it sounds li- like an... Easy send up to the king in yellow. Well, it is. It's a line in a blue oyster cult song called ETI, Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And one of the references that they have in that song is the king in yellow and the queen in red. And it's actually, um, it's on their Agents of Fortune album. And it is a song on the A side right Uh after their most famous song and arguably their their best song, Don't Fear the Reaper. Sure. Uh, and it's an and I actually until I started researching this, I mean, you know, I'm a middle aged white guy from California. Uh-huh. So I have to have a certain degree of blue oyster cult knowledge. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or I could not have passed, you know, junior high school. But um um it's it's actually a decent song. I wasn't familiar with but it's got a lot of things that are just way... It came out, I think, what, 76, 78? I'm not oh, sure. Right. But it has references to ETI, you know, ETI, ETI extraterrestrial intelligence, uh-huh. before the movie ET came out. And it also has uh, quite a few references to the Men in Black before, you know, the Men in Black movie. Sure, sure. Um, so it originally... And you're you're right. It gets kind of codified in Malice Monstrum, mm-hmm. uh, but the writer, uh, I believe it was John Tyne, uh, uh-huh. used it as a reference to describe a, a uh, sort of succubus character driven on a wall in one of the adventures, uh-huh. uh, and. Then they decided, well, we're just going to codify her. Um, and it's there's a lot of reference, but not a lot of... So I thought originally they were referring in Monstrous Maelstrom to, like, official scenarios. Uh-huh. But there's, like, one that talks about how being in uh, Weimar, Germany, that is uh, sort of... It takes the form of a... Uh, an androgynous MC, uh-huh. which is obviously a reference to uh, at, a, at a cabaret, which is yeah. obviously a refer a reference to the Joel Grey and combining with the Liza Minnelli character in cabaret. Sure, but I went 
through pretty thoroughly the um, Berlin Wicked City, which is basically the the Weimar Republic supplement for uh, you know Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition, mm-hmm. and I think it's a Biop All has a, a another adventure that takes place, uh, and I couldn't find any reference, so I imagine that that's more of a hook yeah. in the story. So if there, anyone knows of a story that actually takes place in 1930s Germany that has the Queen in Red or uh, a scenario, let me know. But I think it was supposed to be a hook. Okay, because... No, oh, uh, go, go for it. And, and then in the Malformium, you know, it talks about several different forms. I believe that she takes a psychologist form, mm-hmm. but any sort of female lead. So she literally is almost an avatar that has avatars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I was going to say, this is uh, something that if I was going to use, I would use maybe with more like of a chest motif or a cards motif. Um, like Queen or of Pentacles. Twisted Alice in Wonderland. Exactly, exactly. Uh, head towards a Twisted Alice in Wonderland. Like um, a, a way to color your uh, Carcosa. Like what if it's a way that Naralethotep uh, piggybacks off of uh, like whatever whatever uh, Haster's doing, whatever the King in Yellow's doing, piggybacks off of it and adds a little red swirl into it. You know, you're no longer following the re- yellow brick road. It now has uh, roses lined upon it to your uh, weird fantasy destination, to your ever city, uh, ever changing city. Uh, you know, you're gonna gonna see touches of red in it now. Uh, you're not just going to see a yellow sign. There's going to be a red circle around it. Like this is like a way that uh, Narlethotep piggybacks <coughs> off of it and uh, adds a little special spice being like, oh, you thought it was bad before you met me. I'm going to give it some spice and just make it rough for you. No, absolutely. And as far as I know, <clears throat> that it's ex- exclusively in um chaosium's work sure sure yeah yeah i I believe so now i did find actually a a short story on the um delta green website uh the queen red yeah but even if we separate delta green from chaosium Mm -hmm. uh, which legally i think they are now it's still from the same well there yeah yeah (laughs) But yeah, so it's it's from the the same site as mm-hmm. you know the same source, uh, but so it's not a traditional Lovecraftian, no. although it is by the way of the the role playing game. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. And because of the fact that it's like so ambiguous, so just kind of. Not enough description, enough description that there's some ideas here. Yeah, you could do a lot with this, a lot with this. And and me, I think the the lowest hanging fruit with a name like Queen in Red is chess. Um, if you have like a traditional like black and red chess board or uh, black and red set, or if you have like um, you know, cards. Cards is another one. You can, you. I, I'm sure you can find red queens out there, 
and um like if you're gonna really grasp at straws or even not even really grasp at straws like go with a hella bathory kind of thing go with a, a hungarian countess uh who refers to herself as the queen in red and then have her like maybe have a cult to uh, Narlethotep. You know, think your uh, horror solving crew is going to be uh, fighting vampires. They're fighting vampires of an Azathian strain. There you go, right there. There's or, a, there's, how about there's... a World War One female ace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. We have uh, Queen in Red, our, our Red Baroness type character. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I was like, well, we don't have to keep going with uh, 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 females. And I'm like, well, actually, we are going with queens. And unless you're going to do some sort of like um, Freddie Mercury doppelganger, I, yeah, no, I, I think Queen Red's pretty cool like this. Um, next up, we have Set. And this is, this is a form of Narlethotep pretending to be Set. It's 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 like Set is an established god, and and uh, it's 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 like so is Narlethotep, but Narlethotep's just pretending to be Set and setting up cults, setting up cults, setting up cults of Set that aren't of Set that people are supposed to think are Set, but are actually Narlethotep. Did does that make sense? Strangely enough, it. Did okay. Now there's now, and and of course the most famous, and you know the mythos version of Set is going to be Howard's, uh, from Conan. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and where you know Howard is no problem taking Lovecraft didn't either taking an existing name of a deity or something like Dagon, and then sort of you know. You know, mythosing it out. So Howard's set is kind of a mixture between the Egyptian set uh-huh. as well as the devil. Yeah, yeah. Now, interesting. We think of Set as the bad guy in Egyptian mm-hmm. mythology. He didn't start out that way. No. So originally, Set was the deity of foreigners, but then as Egypt gets invaded by foreigners. His his alignment. They start telling stories with him as the bad guy, as you know, foreigners invade and try to take over Egypt. His mm-hmm. association with with foreigners makes him the other. And if you were writing a story and or a role playing game. That can sort of we have talked a little bit about the faceless god, where sure. where Block says you know that that uh, Narlathotep is basically written out, but maybe during this time that's when he started posing as Set, yeah, presenting himself as as the true form of Narlathotep is removed again that's just sort of an idea I haven't seen come up in fiction, mm-hmm. and if you're going to write a book about it. I want to cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's uh, that's that's how I definitely see set uh, appearing is like that. I, I I like the idea of set being uh, 
like hundreds of years, thousands of years later, a cult of Set appearing, and it's it's Narlethotep and some of his other followers that are like, hey, um, this this uh this 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 cult we've got going on worshiping uh so and so uh maybe maybe some aspect of Narlethotep that's in Egypt, um let's. Let's make some more money. Let's let's go to Cairo. We'll drum up some money. We'll get a cult of set going. And then once everyone's, you know, going along with it, we'll slowly start to shift towards Narlethotep. No one will be the wiser. Everyone will slowly accept it. It'll be like a frog in the pot of water, everyone. And uh, Narlethotep will be happy. We'll be happy. We'll make lots of money. And we'll be in Cairo. <laughs> and, and, and now there is... A third version of Set, yeah, in the mythos, mm-hmm. and that is as a name of Yig. Oh, so okay. Yig, I think it's uh, the Curse of Yig, or one of the other stories that Lovecraft helped edit. There's a reference that that Set or um, that Yig is Set or is associated with Set, uh-huh. or that that Setians, you know, called this deity Set or thought it was Set. Yeah, okay. So, so there, there is a references in, in the mythos as, as Yig being Set. Okay. And that's basically because, first of all, Lovecraft was getting paid. Sometimes the only fruit money he got was for editing it. And if that's the way, I don't know the idea of Set of um set as yig was lovecraft or i think was it was it hazelhead that wrote those i believe so yeah i could be wrong and people write us if we're wrong uh yeah so and there i i get i get the elderly the older women that were in love with lovecraft and wrote stories with him kind of confused sometimes uh-huh. uh but um you know we don't i don't know who did the reference first but there's always these throwaway references uh, to um, real world deities or people in these stories. Oh yeah, yeah. Quite often, quite often. This is an example for sure. And before you write us, yes, it was Zila Bishop. Okay. I get right. I get Zelia and Hazel and so uh, and uh uh, Sonia Green sometimes even confused the three of them. Okay, all right. But yeah, it was it was Zelia Bishop that wrote okay. uh, Curse of Yig with Lovecraft. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, we've got the Curse of Set by D.B. Spitzer and David Heath, where Set is a cult of. <laughs> no, no, no. I like I like our idea of like uh, uh, a a cult of Narlethotep. Uh, you know, grab it, grab it up the uh, scraggling bits of other cults and be like, we're a cult of set. <laughs> Which is well within sort of the way that the Narlothotep is, is yeah. you know, that that's his persona. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he he is he is among other things besides the messenger. He is the trickster. Yeah, yeah, I, I could imagine, and this is a little bit different than set though. This is. Uh, um if you've you've lived in college towns i'm sure 
Yeah, I've I've lived in towns that have colleges. Okay. So one thing that happens in college towns and towns that have colleges is cults. They pop up. (laughs) And my thought was, oh, man, Naralithotep probably has a a few college cults. (laughs) Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let's see. Up next, uh, you've got an interview, and then we are going to be talking about the Central Plains. No, not the Central Plains. We're going to be talking about the neutral plains of Dungeons and Dragons. And thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. part of the show where db leaves me and but i'm not on my i'm not completely alone so so even though i don't have my my trusty companion db with me today we've got a special guest and that is francis and uh, lupi epolito and i'm so sorry if i mispronounced the name that's that's pretty close uh francis lupi epolito so you're fine and i uh, it's such a pleasure to be here as a um uh, to keep you company and to stand in while DB has gone off to to other adventures. Well, thank you. I I, I will I will send him your best. But uh, maybe if you could introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Sure. So I'm based in the Pacific Northwest, and um, by day I'm a patent judge and um, chasing after children. Um, but when I'm not doing that, I'm doing a lot of writing in a lot of genres. But my uh, first love has always been horror because um, horror has been such a part of my uh, upbringing, childhood in the 80s. And so, yeah, I write short stories. Um, I do nonfiction. I do children's. I do adults. I do poetry. I'm pretty much like I, I try a little bit of everything and um, uh, just, you know, really enjoy exploring um all the different ways that we can do some genre bending, actually. Excellent. Yeah, I, I love, and and I think my first experience, and probably most of ours, of, of genre bending was when I was six or seven, Saturday morning, watching Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, wait a minute, this could be like a detective and a ghost story. And I, I must have been like nine when I was trying to put this together. Yeah, and um, you know, I just wanted the van. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, there's that too. <laughs> so, 
Uh, you also uh, are working on a, a, a horror writer collective, correct? I am. So um, I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association, and that's a, a international group, but it's primarily in the U.S. And mm -hmm. um, even though it's such a large group uh, dedicated pretty much to the community of, of uh, readers, uh, writers, watchers of, of dark fiction, or you know, I guess really it's nonfiction as well, um, we also have a lot of local chapters in different regions. And one of the things that I've been working on with a group of HWA members is creating a local chapter in the Portland metro area. And that'll probably come together at uh, the beginning of 2023. And the idea is that um, basically, I think when a lot of us go to workshops and we um, work with other writers, uh, horror writers don't always. Um, we stand out, I think, because some of what we write does make um, other writers a little bit uncomfortable and readers, too, because we basically we thrive in writing about the things that might make us uncomfortable and unsettled. And that's a lot of what horror is, is to help people process through their stress and their own lives by uh, watching it play out and and watching people survive in stories. Yeah. And so that's what we want to do. We want to uh, kind of collect ourselves together in this area and um, do some projects together and also just build community. Excellent. And, and so, and it's, you know, at the beginning steps, right, too? It's, it's just starting out? It is just starting out. Uh, we have quite a few members who are local, and we've started having some informal meetings and reaching out to see who's available. Um, but there's a lot of interest, and, um, you know, we're going to, wrote people in and including yourself if <laughs> we can find, get you to come over um but you, it, you, you had me at the words horror and writing <laughs> okay great yeah i think it's it, it there's a really robust mature writing community here and i have always felt so welcome within all writing communities but in particular with um, dark fantasy and dark fiction just because i think it takes um a certain type of writer who really wants to just be in that um, unsettled, uncomfortable space and just process it and then, you know, create from that area and create from that, those feelings um, and really interesting people. And um, may, I might even say a little bit wild and weird, but it all works out. And some of the nicest people, really, because we get all yeah. our killing out on the page. So there's nothing yeah, absolutely, left. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I, I when I was younger and I started writing, my thought was it's the duty of the artist to shock his audience or her audience. Yeah, and then to, to take the audience and the reader on a uh, an adventure or journey, but to not leave or abandon that reader behind. And to, exactly. You know, yeah. Now, yeah. Um, you're also working on a writing program with youth, aren't you? I am. I'm a co-chair in the Portland area for the Young Willamette Writers. And so it's a part of Willamette Writers which is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to helping writers in the community. But Young Willamette Writers is a little bit different. It's uh, designed to bring authors in to provide free writing workshops to middle grade and high school students. And so what I do is I reach out into the community, you know, not just our local one, but all the writing community at large and find authors who have the time and the desire to teach uh, young writers. So we we bring them in. So I I usually schedule. I bring them in. We go to this uh, the Beaverton City Library, and the mm. uh, students come in and they spend an hour learning about 
Um, for example, speculative poetry. We've got world building and character development coming up. Ooh. We've done graphic novels. Um, we've got plot and plotting, like how to plot out a, an outline, a, a novel that's coming up as well. Oh, and wow. um, it's local, so the students can come in person. But my goal was that, you know, if you have a child in that age range who wants to write but isn't getting what he or she needs or, or they need from their community or their school for whatever reason, um, that child should have access to, to writing classes. And so we also do it as a hybrid. So there's a Zoom component too. So every class is Zoomed. So any child from anywhere, middle school, high school, who wants to learn how to write can Zoom in and it's completely free. And once, um, yeah, once a student has gone to a couple of um, the meetings, uh, we usually invite those students to come to the conference uh, in oh. August and they can um, meet publishers, meet agents, uh, meet other writers. Um, and I've had students pitch to publishers if they haven't. I mean, these kids are amazing. They're yeah. just young writers of this particular age. They're fearless and they're so imaginative yeah. and they're fast. You know, it takes me a while sometimes to come up with an idea. I think that'll work. Um, and they don't necessarily have the same life experience as, you know, you and I or maybe a much more mature writer would. But their ability to create on the spot is amazing. Within five minutes, <laughs> they've got a whole story. <laughs> the, 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 they, and I think I was, too, at that age, very nimble. You mm -hmm. hit a, a, a plot roadblock and you work around it where I'll spend like now, I'll spend like a whole day trying to figure out that hole in my story. The kid, ah, two, three minutes. Okay. Yeah, and it and it and it just makes sense to them because they live in a, a totally different um they just have a different perspective on life that they're always processing and taking in information and very differently than how I think, you know, adult minds work, especially uh, after the stresses of adulting, right? But yeah. um yeah, it's always it's always great to see how um kids open up and they share their work with each other. And I mm. think that um you know, sometimes school writing can be a little bit more formulaic and more structured yeah. because it has to be in a lot of ways because you're teaching mechanics, right? You're teaching exactly. grammar. You're te but with our writing uh, workshops, it's not about the mechanics. It's just, it's just about writing and creating and sharing. And so a lot of kids enjoy that component because that's something that they might not feel that they can do with school writing. I, I had a high school creative writing teacher who said that, you know, creative writing is knowing how to break the rules. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Learn them and then bend them or break them or ignore them. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So if anyone. We're looking uh, at you, E.E. E. Cummings. Exactly. Exactly. So if any and if anyone out there has a, a child, a young writer who is looking for an opportunity to write. Um, email email um, ywwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwww
your your personal writings. Yeah, so I'm a an immigrant. I was born in Taiwan and I moved here when I was three. And we lived primarily in the South, my family, and um, we had uh, Chinese restaurants in the South, in like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and then in okay. like Leesburg, Florida. So, you know, I I have that immigrant experience from the 80s, and we moved around quite a bit. So we I lived in the South, I lived in the Midwest, I lived in South Dakota, I lived in California, and I've lived on the East Coast, and now in Pacific Northwest. So what I do a lot in my writing is trying to incorporate that immigrant American experience, uh, particularly okay. the Chinese American experience, into my stories, but also bringing in the mythology and the folk folklore that I kind of grew up learning about and continue to learn about. Okay. And for horror, there's a, a lot of, um, I mean, culturally, ghost stories are, are fairly common because of the um, traditions and the past of ancestor worship and the belief that if you don't take care of your family's um, mm. spirits and, and souls, then, you know, you might get some resentful ghosts or hungry ghosts that come back and and not leave you alone. And um, so I, I kind of go into that, but there's also a lot of other other things, not just ghosts, there's uh, creatures, there's, um, uh, I wouldn't call them like fairy tales, but folk tales or um, a whole like wealth of mythology to draw from. And I and I pull a little bit from, me, from all of that, but mainly it's very grounded in a particular lived experience. Um, and so that's that's what, what I really, um, focus on for right now. I mean, I think I'm expanding it to kind of different um, different areas as I continue to grow as a writer. But uh, for a lot of my work for the last few years, it's been that. Interesting. Mm. Now, um, you know, we met at the HP Lovecraft uh, Film Festival this year, and you were on two panels. One I was on where we talked about, you know, our video games getting weird but also one that was really my one of my favorite panels of the whole year uh, was sort of about aquatic horrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you maybe share a little bit about maybe some of your feelings from those panels? Sure, yeah. Um, so aquatic horror was a really interesting one because I think this concept of water, at first you think, oh, okay, water. Like, you know, immediately that brings up ideas of like um, Jaws, you know, big creatures in the water and, and those creature feature movies that we, we often associate with deep water. Um, but if you oh, think or about the deep ones in Lovecraft, yeah, yeah, deep ones in Lovecraft as well. But if you really think about it, water is so pervasive. Water is inside of us, water is in bodies of water outside, water is in the air, water transforms it, itself, it cycles, but also water is used for transformation in so many ways. You know, water. Um, through through water, there's baptism, but through water, there's also, um, you know, the conversion of water into tea is a cer- there's a ceremony that happens with that where the water kind of changes its form and becomes something else, water becoming holy water. So there's all this stuff that we as as people ascribe to water as a way of washing ourselves, cleansing ourselves, changing ourselves or being consumed by the things that in in the water. So as as, as a um, element or mechanic or focus for storytelling, there's so much that you can really do with like aquatic or, or a water horror because there is this fear of water because you can die in it. But at the same time, we do so much to harness water for ourselves because we, we have to use it and consume it. And, and one of the and things- Or part water. Exactly. And one of the things I find very interesting is how much water carries 
from us and takes from us. You know, it takes our waste. It takes our, in some stories, it takes our memories, right? It carries yeah. a lot of us and then it blends it all together. So, you know, someone's water over here ends up being the water. It cycles through. And I think there's a lot of um, interesting storytelling that can, can come from that. You meant, we mentioned a few movies. We've mentioned um, the deep ones, but even like Dune, you know, the water of life, like yeah. things that happen with water, I think is just really fascinating. It's kind of, I want to be a little punny here, untapped. <laughs> I mean, it's tapped, okay, yeah. but it's like untapped. It's sort of like, you know, bottomless. Like you can keep going after it. And um, I'd like to see more exploration of, you know, how to use uh, elements like water and how we can um, continue to use that in storytelling. When you said this on the panel, um, so I actually, between the thought I had, between my age of eight and 16, I actually grew up on a boat. Mm -hmm. And so between that age, I lived, it was just, you know, a 35-foot powerboat, but the hull where, where my bunk was, where, where my bed was, was underwater, actually. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that was something that I always grew up with, that was this knowledge that when I slept, even though I had this, you know, wood that kept it out, that I was surrounded by water. And, you know... I just, and that was a, that's sort of an experience I know other people have had, but I always thought about it, you know, that there just wasn't an English word to describe that. Yeah. I mean, the way that sound travels through water or movement yeah. happens in water, it's all different. It's a different exactly. medium. And, um, you know, we're at a disadvantage when we're in water because we're not designed to be at our, I guess, optimal, have our optimal movement in water, right? I mean, we can be fast, but we're not going to really be able to get away from many things and we can't breathe in water so yeah it's a it's a really interesting um it's an interesting concept to play with i mean there's so many facets to to explore one of the things that i wrote about in a, in a, a while ago was um i call it a calligraphy horror story where it's about um chinese calligraphy where you have like a block of ink and it's dry and then you rub it but you mix it with water and you can change mm -hmm. the thickness of in the the density of your ink based on how much water you use to dilute it, right? And so, I mean, the concept of using water to change even what we use to write with and mm -hmm. how we express, like, the strength of maybe our, our images by how, how um, you know, how dense the, the ink is and what we use. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's so much metaphor that you can play with in, in that. And also, when you give ink that liquid, it can be carried then and it can be you know, like chromatography. It can, you can pull the water, can pull it up. It gets into mm -hmm. the paper. I mean, there's just so much about how much water is a part of the writing process yeah. that I think, um, you know, it's just very interesting to see how that can be played with. Yeah, absolutely. And what were maybe some of your thoughts about uh, our video games getting weirder? Oh, you know, one of the things is that I um, was a moderator for that panel, and I and I was very upfront with the fact that I didn't play very many video games because I think I have like some weird spatial thing where I can't read maps very well, so I'm always lost trying to figure out where to go and not get shot in some of these. Uh, I make these the people walk into walls. <laughs> yeah. So, but when I was when I was um, you know, thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, there's so much impressive storytelling that's happening in in video games and it's kind of cross-pollinating between 
I think board gaming and video gaming and kind of just going back and forth. And I've been thinking about how um, even if I don't play myself, I like to watch um, yeah. other people play video games because I see the story unfold in a very um, interactive way. And it's a cohesive story. So, you know, I was in my mind, I was thinking, you know, it's like Pac-Man, it's the same thing over and over again. But no, I mean, the, 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 the video games now, I mean, there's, there's weirdness to it because things don't behave the way they're supposed to behave in, in what we call, I guess, the real world. But also the story is, is fascinating because it's unfolding in a way that's like a book, but the story can be different by the choices you make. So in some of the board games I've I've played and 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 I've seen this in video games too. If you make certain choices, then that affects which ending you get. And you go back and you play it again, and it might be a different ending or a different arc for a character. And um, yeah, that's fairly complex because uh, that's you know, I I'm kind of curious to see how that's gonna gonna play out in the future. One of the things I was saying recently to someone, and this is what kind of scares me, but also fascinates me, is this, the AI, like Midjourney and all, all those um, AI bots that are now able to just crank out, you know, um, AI images based on prompts. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating if I, like, was able at one point to give one of these bots, like, the prompt for a video game? I want this and this and this and this to happen. Or I want this and this and this, and, like, this is the alternative. And then I'll just look at all the video games that have been ever made and they'll just generate one for you to play. Yep. And I don't I don't think that's too far away. But that would be really interesting to see what would happen if we gave prompts and see what storytelling comes from that. I, I, I'm willing to bet there are people that are, are playing with the idea right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we just have to stay ahead, otherwise we'll uh <laughs> we'll be obsolete. Yeah. Well it is as always a pleasure speaking with you but before we go the show has sort of a signature question we always ask at the end and so that is if you could be in charge of any creative project any medium you don't have to worry about copyrights you don't have to worry about money what would your dream project be well that's a really good question um you know there's so many projects that i'd like to do but one of the ones i think that just takes a lot of time. If I could live forever, that would be another yeah. part of that prompt. Um, is to be able to go into different communities and record their stories. Especially for me, I have a, a strong love for the supernatural mm -hmm. and for ghost stories and family secrets. And so going in and talking to communities um, and being able to preserve some of that lore that yeah. is shared but not necessarily written down would be really interesting um, to me. And that would, you know, involve going a lot of different communities and just seeking out elders, seeking out, you know, this passage, passing of knowledge and passing of stories that people are like, oh yeah, my so-and-so told me about this thing that happened. And I, I love those stories because those yeah. are the unpublished um, stories that really make up our community narrative. And we don't always get those stories out and, and to the general consumption population, right? And so that's the type of thing that I, mean, that I would like to do, but it would be it would be a lot of work and a lot of time and probably a lot of money. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably a, a lot of people too, but, you know. Yep. Yeah. But it would be really interesting. I mean, even in, you know, our own families, I'm sure in your family, you have these stories that of, of interesting characters of people. And unless that gets preserved and passed down, it just kind of goes away. 
And that's kind of a shame to, for me anyway. I think there's so much to be um, collected and shared. Yeah, my, my, my aunt recently discovered that um, I guess her great or great aunt, all of her husbands apparently died under very mysterious circumstances. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and they, I hadn't heard that one yet. You better, uh, is it, is it, is it inheritable? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> well, as always, it is just a pleasure to talk to you and we'll hope to have you on the show again. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, just, uh, we definitely want to, uh, hear more, especially as you get closer to those, the, the project with the youth groups. Oh yeah. Um, I think we're going to try to put together an anthology, um, mm for for the young writers because you know there's nothing that's more satisfying than to see a kid's eyes light up when they sign their story or they sign something you know someone's like oh i'd like to buy this anthology would you would you please sign your story yeah like you just see like this moment of wow i i did this and so that's that that's a great thing to be a part of but yeah thank you so much for having me it's always such a delight and pleasure to talk with you and to everyone well thank you Hey, hey, great show. Also, I, ha I had a, an idea here, too. We, okay. run, we run commercials. Uh -huh. So if you've got some ideas and between me and, and I say me and DB, but DB's got the technical side. If you have like things of recording stuff that you mm -hmm. want to put down for commercials for okay. the, the, the project and the, um, you know, the horror association, we'll absolutely run it and we'll, we'll help you out make them okay great um uh there is uh, an anthology is coming out for the uh the essays from asian women in horror and that's going to be in february but we can you know do something where she's like oh it's coming out in february it's basically a collection of um all these women who who write about why they write about horror okay, right cool. because and yeah it, it goes into right. some of the culture of um you know different Family lore. There's definitely some some women who are haunted by their, you know, some their past relatives yeah. who've done things and they, that's passed down. Um, and and other things. I I write about a story that's an ancient tale about a a demon who disguises herself as human by wearing painted skin. Mm. So that's a pretty famous tale. That's yeah. a, a big thing, but it's not as as known here and kind of I tie it with um, Asian hate crimes and incidents mm. and how it kind of blends in with that. So yeah, I do a lot of that, but yeah, that, that would be, that would be um, awesome. I'll and think and about... we definitely could do shout outs too. Okay. Let us know if things are going out. We can definitely do shout outs for you. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And so um, when, I don't think I have a link to your podcast. I know that we talked oh. about it at the panel. Oh. So it's uh, I'll I'll send one on it. It's uh, the People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos. But I'll, okay. I'll, I'll 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 send it to you on Facebook. Okay. Just writing all this stuff down. But yeah, no, it's this is so much. This is like so great, and thank you so much for doing this. I'm just so happy that we're actually close, relatively close to each other. You know. Yeah. You're on a farm with goats. I'm on a farm with my kids. But you know what? It's really not that far. <laughs> Is it an actual farm or? Well, I, I mine's more of a jungle. No, it's not really a yeah. farm. Mine, mine's more like, <laughs> like, a, it's a clutter jungle. Um, well, that's where that's where we are. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I hope it ends at some point. Yeah. 
so when we moved in this place that we are now mm-hmm. it was it was there were hoarders oh okay well and it was literally eight and a half tons of stuff we took out of the barn we know because we waited yeah 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 wow and we we cut back a, a blackberry bush and there was a jacuzzi <gasps> no it, wow. it wasn't working jacuzzi, but yeah, there was a jacuzzi. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I don't even, how do you even hide that? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it's amazing what blackberries would do. Yeah, wow. Like, but, you know, I guess in a way that's kind of good because it makes for great stories. Like, what if you had just, if you cut out the blackberries and you found the jacuzzi and then you found more, like, I would... <laughs> So my, my first podcast was actually about there being a, a, a secret uh, Illuminati base underneath the goat farm. <laughs> Can you send it, that to me? Yeah, well, so, I, so we, we still do some of it about the city. It's a, uh, I'll, I'll find the link. It's a Dave's Undergoat Goat Shenanigans. Okay, yeah, I need this. I'll, I'll I find that. <laughs> I need like, Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, you know what the craziest thing, Dave? What? I saw an ad, an actual goodness ad for a stone ground chocolate company out of Lovecraft Country, and on 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 my stuff. And that that com- that company is Taza Chocolates out of Somerset, one of our sponsors. So I want to say check out Taza Chocolates. They've they're big enough now that they have ads. So. <laughs> yes, I, I noticed some. I, uh, I noticed that they were at our local supermarket. So I think some people are going to get some Taza chocolates uh, in their stockings this year. Oh, nice. Very nice. All right. Well, enough for uh, that. Hey, Dave. Yes. What, uh, what, what do you think of when you think of uh, neutral planes? Like, 
you, do you have a favorite one of the six? Well, again, they're sort of, uh, I, I mean, you got to love Limbo. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I was joking. I was saying it was like a, a flyover plane. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it is. I mean, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that it is um, used in most games unless you're going from like heaven or hell yeah or you know you're doing a planescape heavy where it's like almost almost uh required that you go to limbo or the abyss at some point in time arborea maybe yazdril if or yazgard if you want to run up and down yazdril a few times Mm -hmm. but um yeah It's. I mean, there's there's some pretty cool ones though. I mean, uh, Arcadia is a peaceful kingdom where, like, lawfully new, uh, lawfully good, and lawfully neutral types just kind of hang out, and it's 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 kind of like your standard fantasy kingdom, but like lawful neutral. There's there's a lot of uh, military type stuff. Like a lot of military parades, but not a lot of battles. <laughs> and it's kind of like the uh, the the Switzerland of the Outer Plains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, if if we're gonna go with like the next down from it, we have Mechanus, which um, Mechanus has is 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 a series of gears it's it's what keeps the outer planes aligned and these gears can be like 60 kilometers across six uh you know uh 120 miles across whatever and they just slowly turn there's little tiny kingdoms on each one or like a deity's realm over a series of them and you've, I mean, have you ever seen much, done much with a uh, mechanist there, Dave? The clock no, of Nirvana. No, I have not. And it's kind of the, it, it, it's kind of got my um, mind kind of running because it does, there's so much that you could do in sort of a kind of a steampunk heaven. Yeah. No, and uh, it's a steampunk heaven, and there's a group of creatures called the Modrons, which are like the equivalent of angels uh, in Mechanus, and they go around making sure that everything works, and once every cycle, every, every, uh, the Primus of Mechanus uh, sends out a group of, of, of these creatures to walk around the outer planes and make sure that everything's aligned. And yeah. <laughs> so you have this massive horde of these clockwork creatures walking around. Um, like if, if we're to think of the outer planes as like a donut shape, they go from Mechanus to Acheron to Beator to Gehenna, or I think they actually go the other way around. They go from, 
Mechanista Arcadia, Mount Celestia, Biotopia, Elysium, Beastlands by by the Great Road, a, a, a road that you can walk around all of the outer planes. And they make their way around, and uh, mostly they lose a lot of them and uh, start to lose them in, uh, like, the Beastlands and Arborea and uh, Yasgard and a huge amount of them in the Abyss. And it just kind of gets better before uh, they get to Acheron and then back to Mechanus. But <laughs> and, and, and I think this is a great dimension to have, you know, mechanical mm-hmm. beings yeah. as NPCs. And, yep. and and I do love, I do love, you know, constructs as guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, a race. So this would be a a great place to to maybe have a a a kingdom or a realm that is being all of a sudden all these constructs are falling out and you know into the ground out of you know the sky. And it's because there's a a rip to uh, mechanis. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Or they're on their grand march, or you have one that's rogue. That's no longer part of the hive mind of the uh, of of them, and is now like trying to be its own adventurer or something like that. There's a lot you can do with mechanism that you can do with its uh, its denizens. Um, up next, what we have is Acheron, or I don't know. That's how I've always pronounced it. Which is, uh, I think, in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Don't they have rubber factories there? They do. That's where most of uh, America's rubber comes from is Acheron. It's an infernal battlefield that's lawful neutral, lawful evil. It's a place of giant metal structures clanging into one another. And generally they start out as cubes. And the further in deep down you go into, it's... Uh, Things get destroyed, things get smashed up, but they're giant cubes with battles going on on all sides and people living on these cubes that smash into each other and then the battles go from one cube to another. Kind of like Ohio. Yes, yeah. And it's occupied by a lot of, like, people who loved war in their lifetime, but not, like, a state of civility, but, like, active war. People who, like, you know, want to be buried on the battlefield and uh it's 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 also a place of like um humanoids like uh hobgoblins and goblins and uh that sort but yeah uh a lot of like just battle 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 but yeah <laughs> Um, what else can I say about it real quick? You know, and, and I've never, and I'm sure there are, there are people probably going to write in and see how they had this just amazing two-year campaign there. Oh, yeah. But I've never, I've, other than just, like, as background material, I've never really seen it in a game. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I've I've always used it as something that you cross through. It's it's kind of like um, like a threshold um, like you can't go to hell without, you know, if you're walking on the great road, you can't go to hell without ha- first having to go through, uh, Acheron just, just because the fact that it's, 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 it's not really supposed to be a threshold, but it can be treated like a threshold. Um, but also it's, it's, it's like maybe has like a lot of gates and maybe there's no reason ever to go there. No one ever wants to go there, but you know. 
So okay, let's let's go to the next one, and that's uh, Yazgard. How do you how, how do you pronounce that, Dave? Um, yeah, I I mean, I, it may be official Yazgard, but yeah, Yazgard. Okay, all right. And uh, so Yazgard or uh, Yazgard, uh, it's it's a place of chaotic neutral, chaotic good, an eternal battleground where. True heroes prove their valor. The Norse god, the god of strength, Kord, and uh, gods of rogues tend to hang out here. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's it, like it, a, it's basically it's Valhalla. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, it's like a it's, Thor comic book when when Thor's on his planet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so I, I mean, yeah, the, the, where you go out and you fight and then you come back. You know, it, it, it's basically the D and D version of Valhalla. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is this is a place that I, I I think people would tend to go more than say Acheron, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, up next, it, as as I said before, it's like a place that you have to go if you're playing uh, Planescape, and that is Limbo. Um, it's it's a place where. Um, Gosh, it's it's best described as nothing is there, but also at the same time, you've got bits and pieces of landscape of land and water and fire and air all going on at the same time, sometimes mixing up, sometimes doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, it, it, it's the embodiment of chaos. It is the embodiment of chaos. There's places of stability, of various... Uh, various uh, deities throughout Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, Tempest has a place called Red's, or uh, uh, the Night's Rest, where you can battle and then the next day wake up and you're alive so that you can drink and then battle some more. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a place of complete chaos. Anything goes. It doesn't have angels. It has these frog-type guys called Slod. Slod, yeah. And also, um, ancient, and, and this is a specifically Dungeons & Dragons, an ancient race of humanoids that used to be uh, the slaves of the Mind Flayers, the Illithids, uh, known as the Githsarai. And they have huge monasteries, the Githsarai, in Limbo, where they meditate. So, <laughs> yeah, and that kind of, and I know that they were sort of a a psionic race and everything, but a sort of a, a monk race, mm -hmm. and it kind of makes sense that they are able to, to, they have to overcome the physical surroundings of chaos to reach that level. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Limbo tends to be the one that is most, uh, uh, it's, you're most likely to live longer in Limbo and Mechanist than you would say in Acheron in the next one. Pandemonium. Um, oh, that place is crazy. It's, it's a series of complex caves. Um, Puzzles, howling winds, uh, the 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 residents. It, it's 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 much like an insane asylum. It's 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 everyone's 
um, relatively insane, and no one knows what's going on. It's 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 kind of like a a uh, uh, it's kind of like a series of massive long tunnels that people live in, where everyone's trying to figure out how to get out, but no one knows who to trust, where to trust, where to go. It's it's uh it's a no good. It's 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 very bad. It's uh yeah, it's let's see, it's pitch black catacombs, winds that drive people mad, it's an infinite network. Uh let's see, who lives here? Oh hey, uh the god of hate and slaughter. That's no fun. <laughs> But it's it's and uh, the winds drive people crazy and just like not being able to see anything or not being able to see very well is it's it's yeah, it's 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 a bad place. And, and, but it's not the full hell. No, no, no. This is just places. These are places that in other mythologies would be the place between heaven and hell. You know, that's that's what a lot of these. uh these central planes, these negative planes are, but also they have their own thing going on. They're not just a place that's there to be there, um, except for that one. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Acheron's just there to be there. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So anything that you would do with these central planes, Dave, these these uh, neutral planes? So, so again, it's got to be sort of, I mean, the one thing kind of nice about this uh-huh. is, is that, you know, people aren't really used to it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I mean that, so it, you definitely have a new adventure you have you know something that they're not ready for or or they don't your your, your rules lawyer doesn't have all memorized no but at the same part unless it's going to be a planescape campaign mm-hmm, you, you mm-hmm. don't really see a lot of those no no i i want to say until you get to like your 20th level campaigns and you have like People who are just like, yeah, I can, I can totally go toe to toe with a red slad. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally run around an Acheron, jump from cube to cube, and I've got all this amazing magic that all these like battle guys aren't gonna give me much problem or like, I don't know. It's, it's. I, I feel like once you get to a higher level of D and D, when you and your cohorts are you know, yourselves, like, might as well be gods. Um, the Outer Plains don't really seem to be much of a problem until you get to deities and such. And, uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, it's 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 like, I, I think uh, Planescape, like, low-level planarial adventures are crazy fun, and higher-level uh, higher, uh, planarial adventures are crazy fun, too, when... Mm-hmm. When you're in like you know God mode, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so you you want kind of a, a trivia question, a trivia Go fact? Yeah. So you know that 
Gazinki and Gazafi and Salad. You know who created those? Uh, no, no. Charles Strauss. Okay. Who is uh, been a, a guest speaker at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Oh, wow. uh, most famous for his, uh, he does a, he he's a, a really interesting person. He signed a, a couple of books, but he did a for me. He did a, the uh, library or uh-huh. not library, uh, the laundry, which okay. is basically oh, oh, English oh, yeah, spies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he did a really good um, uh, The Colder War, which is basically an, an um, Soviet-American arms race using uh, uh, mythos technology. But yeah, he he's he invented and they were, I think he did it right first for like White Dwarf magazine. Uh-huh. But a lot of his stuff is going to be uh, codified in... Um, Theme folio. Okay. All so, right. yeah, but yeah, that's by uh, Charles Strauss, who is only three years older than me. So, like, when I was <laughs> 17, you know, I was reading his stuff. And he was like 20 and he was yeah. right. But yeah, he, he, so a lot of this comes from him. Okay. All right. And something I wanted to say is many of these outer planes do have their own kind of like, angels or devils or uh patrons uh mechanist has interesting ones limbo has interesting ones uh yasgard pandemonium acheron and arcadia do not i mean you just go oh that's like someone who lives here okay that makes sense that someone who's like i'm scared and has their hair stuck up like a you know, like it's crazy that they would be a petitioner of uh, pandemonium and like some uh, Thor type guy would be like the petitioner of Yasgard and uh, Arcadia, pretty much the same thing, except for I'm Mr. Military. I love military stuff, but pretty much it's 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 I don't know. It's some of them are really boring, so they they they're not that interesting, but. Uh, Limbo and a has, lot of that depends on your DM too. It's very yeah. boring on paper, but you know your DM can, you know, your DM can sort of change it around. Certainly, certainly. Um, and yeah, they are kind of boring on paper, or at least boring in the old uh, second edition uh, Planescape or second, second and a half, two point five, whatever you want to call it. Uh, later uh, second edition D and D, they were kind of portrayed is not very interesting but i'm sure you could do a lot with them now i'm trying to think of any of the other types of deities and the other types or uh, uh patrons and a lot of them and a lot of them aren't that interesting it's just like mount celestia has stuff that people still would uh i don't know maybe it's just a bias of me um but yeah <laughs> All right, so uh, Dave, we're we're at that point of the show where where we're saying goodbye to everyone and recommending things. Is there anything you've been watching lately that you want to shout out and tell people about? Uh, there's a, a couple of things that I've been really interested in. Yeah, and um, one is, and I'm only halfway through, and I have to admit I haven't gotten to the Lovecraft ones yet. Uh-huh. Uh is uh Benicio del Toro's uh Cabinet of Curiosities. 
Gotcha. Which gotcha. is basically his version of um, Twilight Zone slash meets, you know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Uh, and there is a, real, a couple of really good ones. Uh, one is Graveyard Rats. Uh by uh, Henry uh, Kuttner. And I just happened to get a zombie pulp book. uh, Just an impulsive buy. And it's had there. So I I just read this this story. And the story is only seven pages long. Yeah. And and the the episode's close to like 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And as... So... There has to be some fluff, so they've added, you know, the, the, the some motivation and and uh, a couple of extra items, but it's really, really faithful to the short story. Okay, cool. That sounds awesome. Uh, what I have been doing lately is I have been on YouTube while editing stuff for this week and next week and the week after for the 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 daily shows is I have been watching Mystery Science Theater 3000, yep. Riff Tracks, all available on uh, online on YouTube. Uh, there's a bunch and of they're going to have their own channel soon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they have, they have their own channel right now that you can go to. Uh, I'm not going to do an ad for them. You, you look it up yourself. But um, if you go to YouTube, you can uh, look for Mystery Science Theater 3000 Riff Tracks, and there's all kinds of stuff. And then I was like, oh, I wonder, and and I I was just like looking at old horror movies on, I think, HBO Max, and I ran across Night of the Body, or uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was going to say Day of the Triffids or Night of the Triffids, anyway. But um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, the original and, or the, the 70s one? The 1978 uh, one. And it was so much fun, but I kept expecting to hear voices being like, oh, hey, why don't you, you know, um, <laughs> shake her around a little bit. That'll be great for her spine. Uh, and, and any com- comments or anything like that. Um but yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I highly recommend uh, classic horror movies and anything that involves robots or people off screen making comments about said movie. So yeah, that's that's it for me. Yeah, I, I think we're going to be doing a, a Patrick Swayze Christmas this year. Nice. All right. I, that's a, for those of you who don't watch it, that's a that's a, an early uh, Mystery Science Three Thousand. Uh, host uh, sketch. Yeah, yeah. But yep, those are great. Those are really good. A lot of fun. All right, everyone. Thank you again so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I have been one of your hosts, DB Spitzer. Dave, can you say goodbye to these great folks? Goodbye, great folks. All right. And remember, uh, check us out online. We are PGTTCM. We are on the Facebook. We are on. <laughs> the twitter we're on the instagram we're on the youtubes and of course we've got our own website pgttcm.com and uh, we are on your mind yeah we're on your mind and uh, recorded and edited by db spitzer and david heath music by db spitzer and you can find us anywhere you find podcasts and share Tell people about us and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Have a good one, everyone. Bye. Bye. That was a good episode. Very good. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.